Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. It's so nice to be back again um, doing what we do here once a week, um, helping people understand their behaviorally challenging child, helping them know how to see their child's difficulties through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems, helping them know how to collaborate with their child to solve those problems once and for all. Um, Glad that you're listening in today, whether live or, as so many people do, to the recorded version on the uh, listening library on the Lives in a Balance website. Um, What we're going to do today is answer some of the questions that we've received over the summer from people. And, uh, of course, I apologize for making you wait so long to get an answer. Things change rapidly sometimes in families of behaviorally challenging kids, so I'm still hoping that the answers are helpful. Um, But if you want to call in, today is a very good day to do it. Um, the number, once again, 347-994-2981. Um, great day to call in. As you know, uh, callers take priority on our program. Um, so there's the number. Feel free to call in whatever you want to talk about when it comes to your behaviorally, behaviorally challenging child, grandchild, niece, nephew, that's what this program's for. That's what Lives in the Balance is for. Compassion, support, help, hope. Let's um, start with some of these emails. Um, this is from a mom, it looks like, and I'm not going to use the names of her boys, but here we go. I have two wonderful eight-year-old boys. I'm glad you still think so. Identical twins, both with ADHD. Both were doing well until this year. Uh, Tommy is having a good year. That's not his real name. He struggles some socially from the usual things that come with it, difficulty with eye contact, interrupting, unable to read body language. We're working on social skills with both boys. Uh, Ned is having a very difficult year. Um, Explosions, acting out, disconnected from class. Biggest problem I'm having at home, and we must stop, is that Ned is hurting Tommy, not severely, but often. 
It's a hit here, a pinch there, a grab on an item at another time at home and school. This affects both of them. Ned told me himself he feels like Tommy gets in trouble less. This is true. Tommy also has an easier time with homework and friends. I can imagine this is very frustrating and angering for Ned to see his brother, who looks so much like him and is in the same grade, do so much better. I know that Ned can learn to do better where he sees Tommy succeeding. I understand and even got from Ned why he is hitting his brother. Hmm, I'd be interested in knowing that. Ned is now wearing his watch to remind him to wait a second, hands off. Am I doing this right? Well, um, if you're asking, are you doing collaborative problem-solving right, I'm not hearing uh, collaborative problem-solving in your email. You may, you may well be doing it, and you may well be doing it right, but it's not clear in your email that you're doing it right or wrong. Um, let's see here. You know, the first big decision, the first big thing, and, and why not do this on this program with this email? Um, you know you're doing plan B if you've identified an unsolved problem that you want to be working on with a child. And in this case, the one that it sounds like you want to be working on. And I usually start my unsolved problems with the word difficulty. And then the expectation that the child is having difficulty meeting. So in this case, it might be difficulty um, not hurting your brother. And, you know, these physical contact unsolved problems are always a little word, hard to word. We, we try not to word unsolved problems with the behavior the kid is exhibiting that we don't like. So I wouldn't go with uh, pinching your brother or hurting your brother. Rather go with the expectation the child is having difficulty meeting uh, with the word difficulty in front of it. And the expectation he seems to be having difficulty meeting is mm, keeping his hands off of his brother. So maybe difficulty keeping your hands off of your brother. Now I've got a highly specific unsolved problem that I would like to be working on with a child. And now... I'm going to do three steps, and then I'll know if I'm doing collaborative problem-solving. Step number one, of course, as always, the empathy step. This is where you're going to be gathering information from Ned about the unsolved problem that you're trying to discuss with him. And, of course, the timing on this is proactive. We want this to be proactive, Plan B. We don't want to try to talk with uh, Ned when um, he's already upset or when he's just pinched his brother. Um, I've noticed that, and then we're inserting the unsolved problem into the sentence. I've noticed that you seem to be having trouble keeping your hands off of your brother. And then we're ending this initial part of the empathy step with, what's up? And then we hope Ned says something. But we also know that if he does say something, whatever he says isn't going to give us, whatever he says first is not going to give us the clearest possible sense of his concern or perspective on the unsolved problem. 
So then we're going to have to do the hardest part of all of Plan B. We're going to have to probe for more information, and that's a process that I call drilling, drilling for information. So, you know, as long as we're on the topic, let's discuss the five drilling strategies as well. You're drilling if you're asking questions beginning with the words who, what, where, when. I tend to clump where, when together. Who, what, where, when, but not why. Um, You'll find out why by drilling. Who, what, where, when? Um, What's your brother doing when you're having trouble keeping your hands off of him? Um, Are there any particular places that you're having trouble keeping your hands off of him? Any particular times? Who, what, where, when? You're drilling if you are asking the child why the unsolved why the unsolved problem occurs under some conditions and not others. Notice that when you guys are playing, throwing the softball together, there's no pinching. But when you're watching TV together, it's pinching. Help me understand that. You're drilling. It's another drilling strategy. Another drilling strategy, asking the child what he or she is thinking in the midst of the unsolved problem. What are you thinking when you're pinching your brother? Another drilling strategy is simply saying back to the child whatever he just said to you. That's called reflective listening. And perhaps adding some clarifying statements or questions like, how so? What do you mean? I'm confused. I don't understand. Can you say more about that? And, and I'm not sure if this one's going to apply here, but you're drilling if you're breaking the unsolved problem down into its component parts. Most problems, many problems, not most, many have components, like getting ready for school in the morning has different components to it, getting ready for bed at night has different components to it. Reading can have components to it. Writing can have components to it. Often the unsolved problem is so big that the child isn't able to tell us what part of the components might be getting in the way, and so we can break it down into the component parts and see if he can. that helps. That's drilling. So you know you're doing plan B if you're drilling, for information in the empathy step so as to try to clarify your child's concern on the unsolved problem you're talking with him about proactively so that you can understand it as well as possible. That's what you're doing. So you know you're doing the empathy step if you're doing that. Now, I'm not going to go into a great amount of detail, if any, quite frankly, about the other possibilities for what could happen after you say what's up save that for another program. But there are some other things that could happen after you say, what's up? Uh, The child might not talk at all, or he might say, I don't know. Or he might say, I don't have a problem with that. Or he might say, I don't want to talk about it right now. Or he might say, get defensive and get up and leave or say something like, I don't have to talk to you. But we're not going to cover those right now. Let's assume that uh, Ned does say something, and that 
you end up needing to drill for information. The main thing here is that your goal is to achieve the clearest possible understanding of Ned's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem, having trouble keeping his hands off his brother, so that you understand as well as possible what's getting in his way, what his concern or perspective is on that unsolved problem. Then we're ready for the define the problem step. You know you're doing plan B. If you're doing the define the problem step second, it always comes after the empathy step, and for some good reasons, but the biggest among them is that kids are far more receptive to hearing adult concerns when their concerns have been heard first. The define the problem step is where the adult, another good reason is that if you do the define the problem step first, your child's going to think you're doing plan A, which is unilateral problem solving, which is how that's how plan A starts with the adult concern. The define the problem step is where you'll be getting your concern or perspective entered into consideration, usually beginning with the words, the thing is, or my concern is, but not, well, that is all well and good, but no, you don't want to do anything that would cause Ned to think that his concern is about to be blown off the table or that your concern is about to trump his concern. You're going to get your concern entered into consideration. And I noticed a long time ago that adults frequently had difficulty knowing what their concerns were. Luckily, adult concerns usually fall into one or both of two categories. How the unsolved problem is affecting the kid, how the unsolved problem is affecting other people. It seems fairly clear that this is definitely one that's affecting Tommy being pinched. Even though it doesn't hurt that bad, it's hurtful. But you might say that when you... The thing is, when you pinch your brother, it hurts him, makes him feel bad. Your concern is now on the table. And you know you're doing plan B. If you do the third step after the first two, the invitation. The invitation is where you're going to invite Ned to solve the problem with you. Uh, beginning with the words, I wonder if there's a way. Now, I can't give you the perfect example of what this is going to sound like yet because we really don't know what Ned's concern or perspective is on this unsolved problem. And when you're doing the invitation, it usually begins with the words, I wonder if there's a way, and then you're going to say what the concerns of both parties were again. I wonder if there's a way to, and then you're laying the child's concern back on the table, and then you're, the bridge is, but also... And then you're laying your concern on the table. We know what that would sound like, but 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 not hurt your brother. We just don't know what Ned's concern is going to be yet. You should feel free to call in next week and let us know what Ned's concern is, and maybe even let us know how your attempt at Plan B went. Uh, once again, that call-in number three four seven nine nine four two nine. Eight one, And then you and the child, you and Ned, are brainstorming solutions, but a solution that makes two criteria. 
You want a solution that's realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're about to agree to do. So, for example, generally speaking, a poor solution is trying harder. It's usually poor. Uh, if he could try harder, he'd be trying hard already. So that's we're looking for a realistic solution that's actually going to solve the problem. And we're looking for a solution, and by the way, we're not looking for a solution for what Ned should do once he's already pinched his brother. We're looking for the solution that's going to keep him from pinching his brother in the first place. The other criteria is that the solution be mutually satisfactory meaning that the concerns of both parties have truly and logically been addressed by the solution. How do you know you're doing plan B? That's what you're doing. How do you know if you're doing it right? Well, um, did you come up with a realistic and mutually satisfactory solution? Did the problem get solved? I'm betting... If so, you did it right. So it sounds a little bit like maybe you've asked Ned about why he's hitting his brother, and maybe, well, I can't, maybe maybe what Ned said is that it upsets him to see his brother Tommy doing so much better. Maybe that's what he said, but I'd want to drill for information on that one and um, see if I could understand that as well as possible. If the solution of him wearing his watch to remind him to wait a second hands off was one that was arrived at after you did those three steps, after you really understood what Ned's concern is, and if you arrived at that solution after being clear about what your concern is, and if the solution, and if you invited Ned to come up with solutions with you, and if the solution that you came up with is realistic and mutually satisfactory, and you actually gave that some thought, then you're doing it right. And you're doing Plan B. Feel free to call us in and let us know if you were doing it right and how that solution's working. I um I only let let's say, let's use let's let's pretend that you did do all three steps of plan B, you did them proactively. You did come up with a solution together. And let's say that Ned's concern is that he um hits Tommy because Tommy looks so much like him and is in the same grade and is doing so much better. So my first question is, would that solution, wearing his watch to remind him to wait a second, hands off, my first question is, would that really address Ned's concern? My second question, perhaps even more important, is wearing his watch going to be the best way to remind Ned to keep his hands off his brother. 
in other words, is it realistic? So I'm, I'm, if that's what we found out, and if you truly did Plan B, I'm wondering about the solution on the counts of being realistic and mutually satisfactory. But feel free to call in and let us know. Uh, and what we do here on the program is um, my associate, Allie, emails people not only to let them know that we've received your question, but also to let you know when we're going to be answering it and that it has been answered. Um, we like to think of ourselves as a full-service radio program, um, or at least as full-service as we can possibly be. Hope that answers your question, and um, if you feel like it, let us know how things went. Here's another. Let me pull it up here. Uh, Dr. Green, last week I finished your book, The Explosive Child. For about two weeks now, I've been trying very hard to implement Plan B into our way of parenting, though I'm having a very hard time. My son is six years old, and we have been dealing with the explosions and aggressive behavior since he was three, and he's seen regularly by a behavioral pediatrician. We are going through an all-time high of explosions and also a medicine change, which does not help things, but hopefully will as his body acclimates. Well, that you'll find out about. Uh, med changes can make things better, and med changes can make things worse. So I'm not, that's me talking now. That's not the email. Here's the question. My question is, during the transition to the Plan B parenting style, how do you stop an explosion once it's started? Specifically today, we ended up having to use containment to ensure he wouldn't hurt us or himself, then still ended up having to restrain him due to the violent behavior towards us. I truly believe Plan B will work for us, but need some coaching on getting my son to step back and not erupt so quickly. As soon as he can tell we may not give him the answer he wants, it begins. And then we try to speak to him. He just screams as loud as he can in our face. Today's episode was that he wanted to drive through for dinner when my husband had already made dinner. Kind of talked it through, but then he wanted to stop at the dollar store, and we couldn't do that. It was on, in capital letters. At this point, plan C doesn't seem to be the best choice. Or is it? Since dinner is already cooked and the extra money for a dollar store trip is unavailable, any advice would be appreciated. Well, here you go. Here's what I'm not hearing in the email. Um, and regrettably, you sent it a while ago, so I'm sort of curious about how things have gone since then. I'm wondering, has the new medicine been helpful? But as it relates to Plan B, what I'm not hearing is that Plan B is being done proactively, and that's going to be huge. Um, I promise to answer what you do once an explosion has started. Uh, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. Nobody has incredible advice for what to do once an explosion has started. You basically kind of have the same three options, A, B, C. But once an explosion has started, they're all emergent options. And um, none of them works great emergently. Um, plan C is probably the most diffusing of the three emergently. But as you're mentioning in your uh, email, not always feasible. Um, 
to tell you the truth, uh, as it relates to uh, whether it's the best choice, usually people have concerns about whether it's the best choice based on whether they're setting a bad precedent. Uh, you know, is it, they think of Plan C as giving in, when in fact Plan B, excuse me, Plan C isn't giving in. Plan C is just saying, you know what, we're trying to tame things down here. We're trying to douse the flames. We're, we're trying to have as few explosions as we possibly can. And for many people, Plan C is huge early on. So during the transition to Plan B parenting, don't leave out Plan C. It's going to take a while to get Plan B going. And no, I don't think you're going to be setting a bad precedent by not having explosions when you could have had explosions. I think you're being smart. As relates to the precedent, the unsolved problems in this case, um, wanting drive-through dinner, difficulty, uh, let me think of how I would word this one, difficulty, Um, when wanting drive-through dinner and dinner's already been made. That's what I'd call that one. Um, you want to be dealing with that one proactively, not once he's already upset. And then, so here's the deal. What I'm not hearing also is that you're saying as soon as he can tell we're not going to give him the answer he wants, the big question is, are those times predictable? The times when he's not getting the answer he wants are the times when you and he are disagreeing with each other, and I'm thinking that that's occurring at predictable times. Now, a lot of people don't believe that when I first say it, or they're saying, well, that, that could be anything. Well, they then find out that it's usually six or seven anythings, not an infinite number of anythings. And those six or seven anythings are the unsolved problems you want to start solving proactively so you're not finding him, yourself in the heat of the moment when he doesn't get the answer he wants. And yes, it's true. When you try to speak to him in the midst of him already being frustrated, he's, like a lot of kids, screaming and as loudly as he can in your face. That's heat of the moment. That's emergency plan B. The big question is, for the sake of your sanity, for the sake of your family, does Plan C make sense there until you can get Plan B rolling? And for many families, there's a fair amount of Plan C going on until they can get Plan B rolling. Emergency Plan B is also an option, but for, for many people in the heat of the moment, I don't know that it's ideal because, as you've said, when you try to speak to him, and a lot depends on what kind of speaking to him you're doing, there's plan A speaking to him and there's plan B speaking to him. Depends what speaking to him you're talking about. If you're trying to do plan B speaking to him, I'll, I'll pretend that that's what you were doing. Uh, he's already too hot, it sounds like, and he's he's not able to participate. 
much better to work on that proactively. Let's say you weren't speaking to him through plan B. You were speaking to him through plan A and basically saying to him, uh, look, Dad made dinner. We're not going through drive through right now. That's plan A. Plan A throws fuel on the fire. Um, plan A is unilateral solve problem solving. It causes challenging episodes and challenging kids. I I don't even have people doing plan A proactively, let alone emergently. But I guess the biggest issue is the precedent issue, which many people worry about. If I drop an expectation for now, am I setting a bad precedent for later? Is my child going to come to the belief that everything's going to drop just because he pitches a fit? Well, he's pitching fits already. I don't think you have a lot to lose. The scenario you described sounds extremely unpleasant. I'd like to see you not have some of those scenarios. And for many of the people who I work with, I want to give them pain relief as quickly as possible. Now, does that mean all we're about is plan C? Well, that's that's what a, a lot of people get wrong. They misunderstand that. They think that collaborative problem solving means dropping all expectations. doesn't. But it does mean we're going to try to reduce the number of challenging episodes in the household as dramatically as possible early on so that we can get plan B rolling and then once we have plan B rolling, we're going to start solving our high-priority unsolved problems first. That's plan B. And then we're going to get around to the unsolved problems that we initially handled with plan C soon enough. That's why I'm not worried about the precedent. Those problems are going to get solved eventually. And the child is definitely not going to learn that if he pitches a fit, he gets his way. Pitching a fit is just the child's way of letting us know he can't handle the demands that are being placed upon him at a given point in time. He's lacking the skills to handle the demands that are being placed upon him at a given point in time. When we do plan B, we help him through those problems. We reduce challenging behavior we teach the child the skills he's lacking I'm having trouble thinking of anything bad that a kid would learn by us doing that so let's make sure we're clear we may be doing a fair amount of plan C early to stabilize things to dramatically reduce the number of challenging episodes early on but we're going to be solving problems, and eventually we're going to get around to the problems that we put in Plan C. But we have a kid, because we've reduced challenging episodes rather dramatically, we have a kid who's available, we have parents who are available, their batteries have recharged a little bit, because they're not bouncing from one horrible episode to another. I hope that... Uh, answers the question. Shall we move on to another? I'm so happy to be doing this again. 
These are such great questions and brings up so many important topics that so many parents deal with. Hi, Dr. Green. We have a four-year-old daughter with explosive tendencies, especially, I think, when she is asked to change from one activity, for example, playing with something or being indoors, to another, getting ready for bed or being outdoors. If she perceives she's being pushed to do someone else's agenda, she is triggered. Well, now, that's just me talking. That sounds a bit like a theory. I'm we, we kind of got to decide what side of the fence, what side of the fence we're sitting on. Either she's having difficulty with it, or she thinks she's being pushed to do something somebody else wants her to do. One's a lagging skill; the other's sort of more attitudinal and motivational. I'm a lagging skill guy. I'll keep going. That's actually not the main point of the email. I love the compassionate approach of the explosive child and believe it is the way to handle this. But my wife and others in my daughter's life are just not ready to abandon a consequences-based approach. I'm squeezed between these caregivers and what I believe is best for my daughter. I'm too obvious in my implementation of Plan B. I myself face undesirable consequences, and I don't want to be secretive about how I'm dealing with my child. I've considered that perhaps it is better for me to go along with this consequences-based approach so that at least my daughter will have consistency from her caregivers, and converting the others to CPS seems impossible for now. I would perhaps wait until the situation were more obviously not improving. When my wife truly feels she is out of answers, I might be able to sell her on it. But I would rather not enforce consequences on my child that are both painful and unhelpful for her. Today I forced her to get to bed by a certain time, essentially because my wife insisted this was necessary, precipitating a huge explosion. I would have preferred to let her stay up an extra 30 minutes, which would have averted the meltdown. My question is, can our daughter have at least one of her caregivers implementing collaborative problem solving, even though others aren't? Currently, I'm trying to navigate a middle ground where I try to implement CPS, especially proactive Plan B, which I can do without others observing and without directly contradicting or undermining the other caregivers. But my wife lays down a rigid boundary. I support it and enforce that boundary and try to help my daughter deal with it and her usual meltdown with overwhelming compassion and understanding, telling her much how, under- how much I understand that it's hard for her when this happens. I'm aware that better communication with my wife would be helpful here, The truth is that she is a rather explosive adult, bringing up something like a parenting advice book to share with her results in a face full of angry resistance, and I've never gotten over several years to expose herself to one word of advice I've ever thought might be helpful, and not for lack of trying. Your thoughts? Well, my first thought is that's a very difficult situation to be in, because You're trying to co-parent. It sounds like your your wife is not very receptive to input, period, collaborative problem-solving or otherwise. That's a very tough situation to be in. I guess it wouldn't be so bad if you and your wife agreed on how to parent your daughter. 
but you don't. And therefore, an exchange of ideas, well, it sounds like unless you want to do things her way, and it sounds like you're seeing her way as not being very effective, unless you want to do it her way, there's going to be need to be some communication between you and your wife, who you're also describing as an explosive adult. So that's, that's a tough spot. I understand you feeling squeezed. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like what you've been left with is to do collaborative problem solving, plan B, covertly. And I don't I don't think that's going to be a long-term strategy. It puts you in a very funky position when your wife's doing plan A and you don't really have any option until you have a chance to do covert plan B again. Um, so long as you and your wife aren't communicating about expectations, so long as you and your wife aren't the same page about what's getting in your daughter's way when it comes to meeting your expectations, um, I think we're going to be in tough shape. So, yes, I. Um, it sounds like you already know that better communication with your wife is not only going to be helpful, it's going to be a necessity if you feel that her approach isn't working and if you feel that doing things a different way would be helpful for your daughter. And once again, this is why I don't think it's necessarily that this is about collaborative problem solving per se. You've found collaborative problem solving, but you aren't. the reason you've found collaborative problem solving is because you haven't been real keen on how your wife's been going about parenting your daughter in the first place. Once again, I guess if you were both on the same page about how to do things, you wouldn't be writing, but you're not. And parents who disagree on how to parent, this this going to get in the way. So my biggest recommendation is that you find someone who can help you and your wife communicate about parenting. Although your email suggests that, well, it doesn't sound like she's that receptive to your input on much, if I'm reading between the lines here. Um, you're saying that she's never been, she's never taken well to any advice you've wanted to give and not for lack of trying. And then, uh, actually, a line I didn't read in your email because I didn't understand it at the time, but at the very end you said, maybe CPS with her too? Maybe. Maybe CPS with her too. Don't forget, Plan B starts with the empathy step. I wonder if your your wife might be more receptive to an approach in which her concerns are being heard. I wonder if she might be more receptive to then hearing yours. And notice at no point along the way so far, well, at no point along the way are you going to be giving her advice. Her concerns come first. 
yours come next. And by the way, we're talking about her. We're talking about concerns here. Yes, I know that she's got a certain approach to parenting, but I'd like to hear her concerns about the fact that you two disagree on how to go about parenting your daughter. She might blow you out of the water and say, it does concern me a great deal that we don't agree. She, she, she might surprise you and say, I think we should be on the same page. I know the solution that she's come up with is different, but I don't think that solution was arrived at through collaborative problem solving. It sounds like it's not just her who's oriented toward a consequences-based approach. So if I'm reading between the lines there, um, maybe she's got people who raised her a certain way, thinking that your daughter should be raised the same way. I don't know, but that's, I mean, that's, me theorizing, which I sometimes have to do on this program just because I don't get all of the information I need out of an email. But, boy, I strongly recommend the empathy step as the place to start. Strongly. Not just with explosive wives, but obviously with explosive kids. Explosive kids are much... Kids, human beings, are better able to hear others' concerns when theirs have been heard first. Then you're going to get your concerns on the table, not your solutions. Your solution is collaborative problem solving. We're talking about your concerns. And truth is, maybe, well, you're not having this conversation to talk or into collaborative problem solving. That's what I call knowing where the plane is landing before it takes off. The goal is for you and your wife to be on the same. The goal is for you and your wife to solve the problem of not being on the same page as it relates to parenting your daughter and parenting her in ways that are perhaps contradictory and in ways that cause conflict between you and her. I don't know what the solution is. You don't go into plan B already knowing the solution. I know you're a fan of collaborative problem solving. I don't know if that's what the solution is. I do know that those three steps, which is what we started with on the first email today, are the way to solve problems in a way that doesn't set in motion challenging episodes. Solve the problem durably by taking the concerns of both parties into account and does it in a way that is what I call informed, really and truly knowing what the concerns of both parties are. In the case of kid-adult problem-solving, concerns of the kid, concerns of the adult, realistic and mutually satisfactory solution. That's how you know you're doing Plan B. In adult adult problem-solving, your wife's concerns, your concerns, a solution that's realistic and mutually satisfactory. If you need help with that, I'd suggest you get a professional to help you and your wife communicate about parenting, not a professional to talk your wife into collaborative problem solving, not knowing where the plane is landing before it takes off, but rather someone who can help you and your wife communicate so that you have a solution that works for both of you.
it's realistic and y'all aren't fighting about it anymore. It's the same three steps, whether this is adult child problem solving, child child problem solving, adult adult problem solving, same three steps. That's how you know you're doing plan B. What I know is that we are out of time for today. I've had fun. Maybe we'll get some callers next time. We're just back on the air again, so it could take a while for people to realize we're back. In the meantime, have a good week. Talk to you next week. 